Revelation chapter 13, verses 4 to 12. If you have a stand for reading God's word, please stand. Revelation 13, verses 4 to 12. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, please be with us this morning as we study. Your word here in Revelation chapter 13, Lord, please be with our church. Uh, Lord, please be with Miss Janice and her pain. Lord, please touch her back right now and heal her pain up and help that ease up before she even gets home, Lord. Uh, be with our service, Lord. Be with me. Be with the message, Lord. Please speak through me. Please use me, Lord. Please use this message. Please get me out of the way, Lord. Please help me be that conduit for your message, for your people, Lord. And we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. The title of our message is just the two beasts, part two. I kind of put a, a subtitle in there because this whole passage is basically about worshiping the dragon. Worshiping the dragon. So the dragon has now given great authority to the beast. They worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can, who's able to wage war with the beast? You see this amazement in the world at this time, this wonderment, this, this beast, this, this, this manifest, this wonder, this amazement at the beast manifests and worship. For the beast at this moment in future history, and that is Satan's single goal, to get men to worship him. The beast will usher in Satan's brief season based on sin, the gratification of every human heart. And during this time, seducing spirits will perhaps inspire the arts, philosophies, and sciences. For a brief time, it may seem like a modern-day renaissance under this man's leadership. But this echoes what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 25, how there is pleasure in sin for a season. For a brief, fleeting few moments, it will seem like it is the best it has ever been for the entirety of humanity, but that will be a brief, fleeting few moments. As then that pleasurable season will end, God's judgment will soon start on this beast in the earth, as God's judgment always comes. Men will think at this time that the beast is the greatest benefactor the world has ever seen. The nations of the world regard the beast as invincible. As a seemingly resurrected man, he will appear to be to the world like a colossus. He will appear to be the greatest of all the Caesars. Men will worship him, and they will worship the dragon who gives him his power. All this is a setting where we are at in Revelation 13 of future history that will happen on this planet. So let's look at our first point, a warning and some dragon worship. A warning and dragon worship. Look at verse 4. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? 
supernatural activity happens in this world. You find it in many different religions. Many many missionaries have given testimony to many supernatural things that have been done, not by angels or God, but by demons and other dark forces. I've heard many missionaries give testimony of levitation and things like that going on in the mission field. Uh, but we cannot chase after these sorts of things. We cannot be over-interested in these kind of things, because we may eventually be, end up being deceived ourselves if we devote too much time and too much interest to those sorts of things. But at this point in world history, the admiration of the world has for the Antichrist now turns in that full-on worship of the one who has given his authority to the beast. Yes, at this point in future history, the world is actually worshiping the dragon or the devil. Uh, and they're doing this through the beast. Uh, worldwide devil worship. Planetary devil worship is happening at this point. All across the globe, people are bowing to and worshiping Satan. What a dark time this will be on this earth. So we see Satan in these fleeting moments comes as close as he will ever get to his universal aspirations. Do you remember back in Isaiah 14 when the Lord addressed Satan? You can turn me there to Isaiah chapter 14. This kind of gets the whole thing started here in Isaiah chapter 14, look at verses 12 to 14. When the Lord addresses Satan, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Satan's I will statements. What he's always wanted for a brief few moments in the tribulation. He'll almost get what he wants, as far as the earth is concerned. This is what Satan's always wanted, and this is what he's desired, is to receive worship that was to go to God, but he wants that worship for himself. That's precisely what we see happening here in Revelation 13. This is about as close as Satan ever gets to that worldwide total worship of himself. His man, his Messiah figure in the world, and dwelt by him, doing miracles, the world adoring this man, the world worshiping this man. This is exactly what Satan desires more than anything. The world cries out, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Can you imagine that? The world crying out. The world cries out, worshiping Satan, mocking and blaspheming God as they are doing it. Now, I've noticed a connection here to the song of Moses. All the way back in Exodus, this, this verse 4 of Revelation 13 connects all the way back to Exodus chapter 15. There's a connection to the song of Moses. There's a very, I believe, pointed connection in this text to the song of Moses. The song of Moses is what the Israelites sang when they were redeemed from Egypt. They sang it and they, they had that triumph. They were redeemed. And now you see the, the, the sins of the world acting like this is a triumph that have the dragon, that have the beast over them. In Exodus 15, 11, the, the, the Israelites said this, they sang this unto the Lord, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious and holiest, fearful and praises, doing wonders? Exodus 15, 11. You see how closely that sounds that the world is saying in Revelation 13, 4. 
who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him. Sounds very similar to what the Israelites saying in praise to the Lord. And again, I believe that's intentional. We know the devil is a counterfeit, the great counterfeit. He likes to imitate. He saw them sing that praise of the God. He's like, I want that, and someday I'm going to get that. And he orchestrates it, and he gets it here in Revelation 13, verse 4. They use the same words, the same song that was originally meant to worship and praise God, and they twist it to worship and praise the devil. This is what a deceived earth will be proclaiming. Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? A deceived world will be proclaiming that. But let me tell you, there is one who is coming who is able to make war against the beast. In fact, there is one coming who will destroy the beast with just the very brightness of his presence. He shows up and the beast is destroyed. And that is what we read about here. The devil picks one war too many. He is so arrogant, he picks a fight with the king of kings. Can you imagine that? To be that arrogant, he picks a fight with the king of kings. Now, if we go, if we think about through world history, the world has witnessed, I believe, several dress reversals to what we see happening here in Revelation chapter 13. Modern totalitarian regimes exploit the hunger in the human heart for a visible God. Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin were all granted what you can say even semi-little g God status in their countries. As a result of that clever use of pageantry and publicity, they were made to feel like bigger than bigger than just they were. That they're bigger than just a regular man. And think of how in their day, their countries almost worshipped them. Almost worshipped them. Now picture that across the entire globe, empowered by all the power of Satan, and amplified a thousand times over by his pure evil and his hatred for the true God. And that is what is happening here in Revelation chapter 13 on a global scale. So now let's look at the character of the dragon. Look at verses 5 to 6. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle of them that dwell in heaven. So we see here the character of the dragon behind this man. He speaks blasphemies against the Most High. This is a reference to the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel 11.36. Speaking of this man says, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. He is allowed to speak against God, to speak these blasphemous things against God for 42 months. But notice where that blasphemy comes from. It comes from his mouth. He opens his mouth. The blasphemy comes from his mouth. It is his words that are being referenced here, being referred to here. What he is saying is being referred to here. You know, speech is always given in the Bible as a vital indicator of a person's state, their heart condition, their character before God. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, and 19, But those things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Out of the heart. The character of this man is, is evil, pure evil out of his heart, is spewing these blasphemies against God. You know, you can tell a lot about a person from the words that they say. 
That is why we do not use the Lord's name in vain. Even the little OMG that people like to use a lot, we do not use that as well. This is why it's such a serious thing, a serious teaching that we do not take the Lord's name in vain. The biggest sin that's harping on it about this man in, the, in the Revelation 13 is blaspheming God. We blaspheme God and we take His name in vain. That's the big thing we highlight here. Speech is a vile indicator of a person's heart condition or their character before God. So we see here that Satan is blaspheming God. Satan has long been the author of blasphemous things against God. And his blasphemy will be, this, the climax of his blasphemy will be at this point in the tribulation. It'll reach that, his blasphemy against God will reach its climax. Now let's notice though, God's mercy is displayed. I've been praying as, we've, as I've been studying chapter 13. How do we get anything out of 13 that we can apply to ourselves right now? That's, that's a difficult part. And the Lord gave me a few things in, this, in this, this message, and this is one of them. Let's look at how God's mercy is displayed right now. If you think about it, we know the Lord's name is blasphemed among the nations by those around us every day. He's blasphemed in our schools and our workplaces all day, every day. If you could actually stand back and imagine for one moment how many times... Every single day, every single second, probably of every single day, somewhere on the globe, someone is blaspheming the name of the Lord. 24-7, every moment of every day, someone is blaspheming the Lord. That's not hard to imagine. And consider that the Lord knows every single occurrence of that blasphemy against Him. And look at the mercy He's showing right now. His mercy is displayed worldwide. God allows this man tribulation to have his day in that respect. God allows this man in tribulation. God allows man in our day to have his day as far as blaspheming God goes. Because this is the era of the church. This is the era of the gospel. This is the day that he wants all men to be saved. So he's extending that grace to us. But that grace will stop one day. He will stop all blasphemy one day. Just like he said to Israel in Ezekiel 36, 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in your eyes, in you before their eyes. One day all blasphemy will stop. One day all taking the Lord's name in vain will stop. He will not allow his blasphemy to go on forever. One day all that blasphemy will stop. One day all that taking the Lord's name in vain will stop. One day all the use of his name as a curse word will stop. One day God will end all blasphemy. Right now we are in that day of grace and mercy. And men need the Lord. And he's extending that grace. He's extending that mercy. So now let's look at the persecution of the saints. Look at verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This person will speak out against the Most High. He will wear down the saints. He has authority to do what he, is, what he pleases at this point. He overpowers the saints and that authority that was given to him. He has authority over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. That is the extent of his rule. He rules the globe at this point. I believe this also shows us how the beast will persecute the saints. Now think about this. 
He's only one person, so how does he persecute the saints across the entire globe? No doubt he'll be using his, his government, will help him. Uh, but I think, to me, I was thinking he would need more than that. But you know, governments have always been the worst persecutors of people who go against the government. We're seeing that a little bit in our country right now. History, even in this age, proves that. Imagine what it will be like at this time in future history, where all the restraint of the church, the salt and light, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit has been removed. Think of what it will be like then. We know at this point that nations are actually worshiping the devil at this point. Through the, false, through the, through the Antichrist, they're worshiping the devil. They're doing his bidding. Remember, they are amazed and wonder at the beast. I was thinking of an example of this. If you think back to occupied Europe during World War II, and you study what the Nazis did, one of the shocking things you'll find out is that quite often, it wasn't necessarily the Nazis who were rounding up the Jews and persecuting the Jews in occupied Europe. Quite often it was the nations themselves who formed their own secret brigades, and they would take great glee in showing their new Nazi overlords how obedient they were. And they would round up the Jews in their community for the Nazis and hand them over. Now imagine that happening in the tribulation. I think I know there's some Christians that live over there. I'm going to go tell my, 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 my government that they're over there. And I'm going to help them get them. We can see that easily playing out. Easily playing out. That, that what we think about how the Nazis were able to effectively round up and kill 6 million Jews. Plus others. During World War II, it's going to be the same thing globally. Community members, neighbors, whoever is going to be returning the Christians, those that have come to faith in Christ during tribulation, and returning them over to the government. The beast will have them, these people, doing his bidding just to please him. And they'll gleefully round up the Christians and, and, the, and the Jews and hand them over to the Antichrist. So now let's look at the deluded masses worship the beast. Verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. This is referring to those who have rejected the gospel and therefore have taken their place with the beast. These people have permanently given their ultimate allegiance to the beast. They have fallen for that deception, that power, that attractiveness of this person. The beast will be the incarnation of all the world's religious hopes. It will be the Christ of all the cults. It will be the reincarnation of Buddha, of Buddhism. It will be the Mahdi of Islam. It will be the seeming Messiah of Israel, the kind of Messiah the Jews have always wanted. He will unite men in worshiping him. This delusion, this deception is so strong that, that all the world will fall under his spell, except for those that hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And is that not kind of similar to what's going on in our day right now? We might not see the battle so fiercely in our comfortable age that we have now, but it's still the same battle going on in the spiritual realm. Only those who belong to the land will not be deceived in, in this age. And that is signified by having our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just as three Hebrews refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's image, which foreshadowed the day that we're talking about here in Tribulation, when when uh, all those will be commanded to worship the beast. So there will be some faithful who refuse. In this text, it is those whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, verse 8. Now, the, the book of life is introduced in several passages of Scripture, particularly Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And who, whosoever 
was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life contains the names of the living and is God's book of anticipation. That is, when every human being is conceived, God writes that person's name in his book. If he or she dies without receiving Christ, that name is blotted out of that book so that in eternity the only names in that book are, are those that, the only names that remain are those that received Christ by faith as their Savior or have died before that age of accountability and had no opportunity to receive Christ by faith as Savior. I think we're going to have about what, 40, 50, 60 million Americans I know of that were killed by abortion in that book. They never had the opportunity. As soon as they're conceived, their name, they have a name, even though the parents never gave them a name, they have a name. Their name was written in the Lamb's book of life. There is no doubt about the identity of the Lamb. For John the Baptist pointed Jesus Christ says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb's book of life includes only those who have come to the Lamb for life. Jesus said that he came to give unto people eternal life. Many times he stated his believers would have life everlasting. Jesus proclaimed that those who believe on him will never die. He was not, of course, referring to the flesh, but to the real inner self, the eternal soul. The Lamb's Book of Life then contains the names of those who have by faith received the Lamb of God, and thus have their names written in the Book of Life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, verse 8. And according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 1, 4, 5. Now, look at verse 9 with me. Revelation 13, verse 9 says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. Basically, John is saying, I want you to pay attention right now. I want you to listen up. This is important. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. John is saying, make sure your name is written in this book. Make sure you are saved. Uh, John has just laid down all this incredibly hard things to hear and consider. And he just, he stops and says, if you men have an ear, let him hear. Then he says, this, in this very dramatic point, he says, it talks about the Lamb's book of life. Make sure at all costs, and, and make sure that you pay attention, make sure at all costs that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God does, not want, God does not want any of us, any man, any people to go through what people will go through during the tribulation. God wants all to have their name in the Lamb's book of life. If you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, I believe God is saying through this text, hear this, God does not want you caught up in this. This is not what humans were made for. Accept God's offer of salvation. Get your name in the Lamb's book of life. Turn from your sins. Do not be deceived by this. Confess the Lord Jesus as your Savior today. Make sure your name is in the Lamb's book of life. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If any man have an ear, let him hear. This is important. Make sure you're in this book. Now next. Those that follow the beast will suffer his fate. Look at verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. So those that round up their neighbors. He that leadeth in captivity shall go into captivity. He that killed with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This tells us that the earth dwellers at this time who are doing the beast's bidding will suffer the same fate. They will be killed. It also implies that in this final period of history, there's really no other option at this point. Either you're going to be martyred 
They're going to be killed. Only very few survive to the end. Most likely, if you're a believer, most likely you'll suffer martyrdom. Few will make it for the coming of the Lord. If you're a number of the beast, most likely you'll be killed, but a few will make it to the end. In many ways, you'll be part of what, if you're, if you're numbered with the beast, in many ways, you'll be part of what is referred to as the wine press of the wrath of God. Be part of that. Now, these are not good choices. This is one of the reasons I believe this book was written. As a warning to those who, on this side of the rapture, who do not believe, to believe. To make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Accept Christ as your Savior. Be saved. I think Jude 23 comes up and comes into point here. A good, good cross reference. Pulling them out of the fire. You do not want to go through this. Make sure you are saved. You need to put your name, get your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's what we need to do with this. At this point, the story of Revelation, the light of everything we read about this world, faith is the only thing these believers at this time in history could possibly have. Everything else has been taken away. You know what? Faith is enough. Faith is enough. Every comfort, every privilege, every security, everything is taken away except faith. The devil and his, his man cannot take away their faith. They have faith. That is enough. That's what the Bible is telling us. Faith is enough. We don't need anything else as long as we have faith. Faith is enough. Faith is all we need. Faith is all they will need at this point. Faith is all anyone really needs. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We need to make sure we are safe in Jesus through faith in his word. We turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, read verses 35 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. God's word says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These promises will be all these tribulations the saints have. That's all they will have. That's all they need. That's all we need. Revelation 13, 1-10 predicts a future world government. That from God's point of view will be the continuation of the ancient Roman Empire expanded to cover the entire globe. This government will be empowered by Satan. His primary objective, Satan's primary objective, will be to get the whole world to worship him through the Antichrist. Satan's purpose is to take the place of God at this time. He wants all worship directed towards him. All of Satan's power and activities will be directed to get the world to worship him. Satan's desire is to be like God. We saw that first in Isaiah 14, verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's what's driving all of this. His program has never changed. Satan's program has never changed. He's always seeking to lure people to obey him instead of God. The Great Tribulation, this purpose will be transparently clear and after its manifestation, it will be brought to divine judgment. So now let's, let's get an introduction to the second beast. 
The first part of this chapter dealt with the coming of Satan's prince. The remainder of this chapter now has to do with the second mysterious person Satan uses as a propaganda chief for the first beast. Verses 11 to 12. Now beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Another beast, verse 11. Greek word that is translated as another beast, this means another of the same kind. It's telling us it is not the, identical to the first beast, not the same as the first beast, different, but it's of the same, same time, very similar in nature, character to the first beast. The second beast comes out of the earth. Remember, we mentioned that coming out of the sea, we're referencing that first beast. Uh, mentions in the prophecies of Daniel spoke of coming out of the Gentile nations that ring the Mediterranean Sea. That first beast comes out of the sea. That we, we, we came to the conclusion that he had to be at least partially Gentile. It comes out of the sea. Because of this point, the contrast here coming out of the earth, the one comes out of the sea, meaning he has to at least have some Gentile lineage. This one comes out of the earth, not the sea. So it must be indicating something different about the lineage of this beast. Most likely it's telling us this beast will be Jewish. The word translated earth in verse 11 in the Greek is also the word they use to translate land, specifically the land of Israel. It's literally the same word. So most scholars believe this second beast will be Jewish because of this. Though again, the world may not know of his Jewish ancestry until it's, until it's advantageous for him to reveal this information. I didn't, I didn't re reveal this earlier, but I'm Jewish. It may be that. But now let's look at the appearance of a lamb. Notice also this second beast, who is probably Jewish, says he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This is a very interesting description. So the second beast is like a lamb. He speaks as a dragon. This is telling us that his appearance is nothing to be scared of. His appearance is quite normal. Uh, people do not fear lambs. I'm not afraid of a lamb. People do not take a second thought of gathering themselves around lambs. Lambs appear harmless. Lambs appear docile. Lambs appear not very smart. We, we, we don't. But underneath this lamb-like appearance, the second beast speaks as dragon. The second beast has a dynamic appeal. He'll be a very appealing person. He will appear very harmless. He'll be a, like a sheep in wolf's clothing. He'll have that appearance about it. He'll have a wonderful spiritual message for everyone. He'll have that. He'll be presenting a united world religion as the answer to the world's problems. Problems that most people like to talk about at that point in time. He'll, he'll convince the world that all the religions of the world have predicted the Antichrist coming. The Antichrist is the fulfillment of all of the world's religions. He'll, he'll say all these religions, he'll convince them that they all pointed to this man who's right now ruling here. He'll be the organizer, we, are, we learn, he'll be the propagandist of this new religion centered on the first beast. He'll be the head vicar of this new Caesar cult. He may perhaps be the sitting pope at this point in history. His role will be to make this new religion appealing to man's total personality. His arguments will be subtle. He speaks as a dragon. His arguments will, his arguments will be subtle. They'll be convincing. They'll be appealing. His oratory will be hypnotic. He'll, he'll be able to move the masses to tears or whoop the masses up into a frenzy. He will also control the communication media of the world, whatever is left at this point. 
will skillfully organize mass publicity to promote the Antichrist and his government. His deadly appeal will lie in the fact that what he says sounds so right. God, it sounds so right. It sounds so sensible. Of course, it makes perfect sense that all these religions are pointing to this man right now. It makes perfect sense. They'll make it all sound so right, so sensible. Everybody will start to believe it, and we're told everybody will believe it. And the second beast, we're told, exercises the authority of the first beast in verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. I believe that shows there is that, that religious element again. Beast. His job description, if you will, his purpose in this verse, his purpose is to get the whole world to worship the first beast. That's his role. If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, we're actually given his title in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. Revelation 19 and verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet. That's the second beast. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, which we'll talk about next week, and then that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So his pile is the false prophet. So this second beast, or the false prophet, is using religion in the world, combined with government, to, to encourage that worldwide worship of the beast. He makes the earth worship the beast either through coercion or just convincing with how he spe his speeches he gives through deception or by force. The one way or the other, the world is going to worship the beast. That's his purpose. That's his sole purpose, to direct worship to the first beast. The Antichrist, that coming world leader, he does not direct this, this second beast, the false prophet, does not direct worship towards himself. He directs all worship towards the beast. The second beast arises and works for the first beast in order to expand and direct worship to him. And he does that through this religious devotion. Whenever you see religion and government mixed together in history, as far as Gentiles go, it's usually not a good thing. It's usually not a good thing. The alliance of religion and state has a sordid history, a history of turning to suppression fairly quickly. Almost every example throughout history where Gentiles have mixed religion and government, it goes very bad very quickly. Uh, we can go all the way back to the pharaohs. They were all associated with the Egyptian gods, and, and, and many of them supposedly entering the pantheon of Egyptian gods, and, and look how they treated their subjects in Egypt. You had to worship Pharaoh. Think of the Greek, that, that ruler Antiochus, who called himself Epiphanes, whose name means God manifest. He put a statue of himself in the temple. He demanded the same sort of things that this Antichrist has demanded. In fact, he was the type of the Antichrist. And we have that example. That's exactly what this Antichrist would do. Demanded worship. Generally, religion and government have always been combined in history for power. And we're going to get a little bit of history here. I love history, so we're going to get a little bit of history here. Most of our Western world was ruled by the Pope for most of its history, through the Catholic Church. That is a I don't know how to say, hey, I don't call it a good example, but it's an example of, of state and religion mixing together that was not good. The Pope was, in fact, the most powerful man on earth at many points in history. Kings of the world would need to seek the Pope's permission to do many different things, to get married, to go to war. Any major decision, they'd have to run it by the Pope first to get the Pope's approval. That is how powerful that Pope was. 
Obviously today, the Roman Catholic Church, they have doctrines that when the Pope speaks, he, has, he speaks as if he has the authority of God. That's what's happening, I believe, here at this point in Revelation 13. That's how you can get those that are in the, the, the apostate church who still kind of think, well, this I, I think it should be God and Jesus. They're an apostate church. If someone's speaking with the authority of God, supposedly, that would fit really very well with this being his false prophet. Now, I mentioned this earlier. We talked about, or excuse me, last week we talked about the unholy trinity. With this false prophet, we have the completion of the unholy trinity. With this second beast, this false prophet, we have our unholy trinity complete. We talked about last week, remember the dragon imitating God the Father, the Antichrist imitating God the Son, and now we have the false prophet imitating God the Holy Spirit. The unholy trinity is complete. Look at verse 12 again. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Look at all the parallels. It says in the text, he wields, this false prophet wields and exercises all the power of the first beast. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has all the power of God. The Holy Spirit directs worship to Jesus and the Father and not himself. The false prophet exercises all the power of the first beast. But remember, he does not direct worship to himself. He directs worship to the dragon and the Antichrist. Notice the parallels. Notice the imitating. Notice the counterfeiting. Notice again, Satan has no originality in and of himself. He cannot create anything new. He can only pervert and imitate what has already been created. It's already in existence. What we see here is Satan's counterfeit trinity, and he has his man, the false prophet, whose sole purpose is to imitate the Holy Spirit and to direct worship towards the Antichrist and the dragon. So let's wrap up our message this morning. This passage of scripture describes a vision of a beast rising out of the sea with great power and authority over the earth, and a second beast rising out of earth that directs all worship towards that first beast. So again, we are left with the question I, I, I was left with last week. How do we apply this passage to our life? I mentioned a few things earlier, but how do we apply such a passage to ourselves? I believe there are a few things we can do here. Number one, I believe this passage teaches us we must test all the spirits. There is great danger in blindly following any ideology, especially a religious ideology. First John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Try the spirits. Number two, have faith in God. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world of Revelation 13a. Our faith in God and plan of salvation is what ultimately matters, not fleeting power and influence of earthly leaders. Our faith in God is what matters. Number three, we need to stand firm in the face of persecution. Verse 7, Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Persecution is a real thing. It's going on across the world right now. Who's to say we're not going to face something at some point in our own country? We can see freedom slowly eroding in our own country. We see pastors being arrested in Canada, in England, in Australia. We're about the last country on earth that still has that freedom. So we can see it leaving. So stand firm in face of persecution. Number four, hold fast to our identity in Christ. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints, Revelation 13.10. 
As Christians, our identity and worth are rooted in our relationship with Christ, not what we have. It's rooted in our faith, not circumstances. It's rooted in Christ and our faith. Number five, faith grounded in truth. Deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Revelation 13, 14. You need to stay grounded in truth, not be deceived by false teachings or deceptive signs and wonders. We need to be in our Bibles. We need to be daily in our Bibles. I have found that many times in my life when I am in my Bible less, my problems seem more. When I'm in my Bible more, problems seem less. That's something i got to constantly remind myself of. When I'm in my Bible less, my problems seem more. When I'm in my Bible more, my problems seem less. We know the world will end one day. This world system is heading towards that climax in Revelation chapter 13. That false, that antichrist with the help of the false prophet will, will rule the globe and demand worship for the dragon. Godlessness leads to hopelessness. It leads to unimaginable perversion. We're seeing that across the world right now. It leads to unimaginable evil, unimaginable terror, unimaginable suffering. Mankind, man, needs the Lord. We need Jesus. We all need Jesus Christ as our Savior. The world needs to hear the gospel. The world needs to hear the clear teachings of the Bible regarding morality. Well, this is the ultimate truth. We must give out the truth. We must tell people about Jesus. We must direct the way to the truth. Lord, we thank you.